0: Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alts Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Continuous learning is a driver for success, growth, and well being. Learn or expire and keep your Azure skills up to date. Act now by going to solveto.fi/slash pro. My name is Tobias Zimmergren. I'm back again with Jussi Royne. What's up?
1: Hey, Toby. I spent the weekend in Lapland for a company Christmas trip, and I realized when I was traveling there, that it's been years since I actually went to Lapland to to have a holiday. Normally it's for business or you don't really go up there because it's the wilderness and usually it's a nice one hour flight from Helsinki so I live on the south coast and Lapland is all the way up north so usually it's a one hour flight unless like me you book your flight on the last minute because I had some some work commitments and it turns into a three-hour flight because there's a layover in a small village it's nice being there lots of snow and you could do all sorts of activities but i also came to realization that i think i was the only one in the hotel who spoke finnish because there's so many tourists from outside finland that they hire temporary workers for the for the uh for the holiday season who are not Finnish. it feels really weird you're in your home country you can only communicate in english even though if you haven't been there you definitely have to go
0: all right that sounds sounds fun and it's it's kind of the same if you go down to the you know certain areas in the alps because i know a lot of swedish people i know in, including my partner helena she's when when she grew up she did uh, like seasonal work uh, down in the alps where they have a, a bunch of people from different countries flying down and and helping out with skiing for example same thing there uh, whatever local language they have is now international, so super cool. I haven't been uh, to Lapland at all, uh, so that's definitely still on my on my radar. And speaking of that, because there's a lot of snow there right now, I, I really want to, like, if you're a regular to this show, you may know that I love nature and being outdoors, and it's now minus six degrees where I live, which is about 21 Fahrenheit, uh, and it's pretty darn cold. So we're not talking about doing a hike with gear which is the survival equipment, some cooking gear, obviously, sleeping gear. And if we can carry it somehow, we bring some firewood, perhaps to do a one or two night outdoor hiking experience. And to your point here of of being in Lapland, what's missing for me? More snow, because we have the cold weather, but we don't have the snow. And I absolutely love hiking in the snow. It's a bit of a challenge with a grip, uh, you know, to avoid injuries. Especially when I go on solo trips, I have to be really careful because if I do get injured and I have walked 30 kilometers into the woods, you know it, it might take a long time for someone to number one find me and number two get to me, right? So when you hike with multiple people, that is better because if you do get injured, it's you have a higher chance of of succeeding in getting uh, you know to safety quicker. But I will, Uh, hopefully enjoy that and you know that's really fun to get out and also super nice to come back home to the indoor fireplace with a hot chocolate one or two days later and just defrost because let's face it if you go out for two days or three days two nights into the wilderness and you have nothing but your backpack to bring uh it will be cold right because it's below freezing continuously and constantly but as long as you do the hiking and you, and you stay in motion, you're fine. And when you go to sleep, obviously, we have the property gear for that. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll tell you more about that in the new year if we do manage to get out. The other thing I just wanted to brush on is uh, I went on two other podcasts to talk about sustainability, um, which we talked about in this podcast just a while ago. That was also great fun. And I'm looking forward to uh, to hear the results of that when they're out, because sustainability and the whole hiking experience kind of go hand in hand where I rather enjoy doing a, a trip with my backpack than jumping on a plane and flying to, you know, some place hot. So that's it for me.
1: For a moment when you mentioned about the possibly getting injured when when hiking, uh, but if you have a bunch of people it it's helpful. I thought that that if somebody gets injured, you you leave that person as a bait for the wild animals, and it's easier for the team team to take get this away. person, not me. Yes. righty. So today we are talking about running a signal proxy on Azure. So this is a bit of a reflection on running this this sort of an add-on capability for signal. So signal, I, I think everybody knows what that is, but it's the secure instant messaging slash communications platform and service like whatsapp but more secure if you will uh toby are you using signal i am using signal which is
0: uh, it's kind of interesting right because i am a person that goes where the audience is and the audience in this case can be my family it can be work friends it can be you know anyone i need to collaborate with so i'm I have Facebook Messenger, I have WhatsApp, I have Signal, I have something else, I have Instagram, I have a bunch of different like social platforms and Twitter and and now Mastodon and whatever. So I don't use one over the other, I just, because I don't have sensitive discussions on these platforms. So I I use whatever is convenient for the recipient. So I'm, I'm kind of adjustable and adaptable in that sense, which means some of the people that I talk with, they're on Signal, so therefore I use it, yes
1: yeah, it's it's the same for me. I perhaps have less platforms. i I gave up with Facebook Messenger about a year ago. so i I didn't just deactivate my account. I deleted my account. So more or less everything around life in general seems to revolve around WhatsApp. But signal, especially with with nerd friends and 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 with colleagues, signal seems to be the sort of preferred platform. So now there's an option for running, a proxy, and it sort of is like a regular HTTPS proxy, but there's some tweaks that that they've implemented. So so that's really the essence, And, and we want to talk a bit about why do you need this? How does it work? But also how do you run your own proxy for Signal on Azure? So the upside really here, or why would you need to run your own proxy? Perhaps for somebody in the Nordics or somebody in Europe or somebody in the United States, there's literally no solid reason for running a proxy for yourself because you can typically access platforms like Signal and WhatsApp just by using them. But for people, perhaps in regiments where the government might be blocking your access directly to Signal, to try to not have you communicate against their readers, then running a proxy would be a helpful aid for people who c- wouldn't wouldn't get access to to signal that's that's sort of what i'm reading from the signals blog on the announcement on on having the proxy and i feel it might be a service to people who who would need access to signal and perhaps somebody like me could offer them the proxy as a service to relay their traffic to signal does does this make any sense to you
0: yeah, I, I haven't thought much about this, but uh, I think you you bring up a pretty good and sensitive point there with the different governments and regimens. and uh, like we know that there's a lot of countries out there um, where you know the, the government might control media and they might control internet and the type of traffic, and they, for example, blocked Twitter or they blocked like they want to control free speech and things like that. So pretty, pretty bad things or like controlled controlled. Uh, where governments want to retain control of what information flows, so in that sense, I think that makes perfect sense because I am, you know, an, an avid proponent of free speech. You know, wherever and and whatever uh, country you live in, uh, it doesn't really matter. Like free speech is important, and that we can get authentic and true information as reported from the field by the people. Uh, not just the the state-controlled media in in some countries. So I think that from that angle, it makes perfect sense. I haven't found a a use case for myself to use a proxy, but like you said, it it might be an idea if you know that there are countries right now where they have a a problem with authorities controlling the, the media. If you can set up a proxy saying that country they blocked, WhatsApp, Twitter, Signal, whatever. If you set up a proxy with a different domain name that is not blocked, then you can still offer... Signal as a service to, uh, to anyone in that country.
1: Yeah, makes, makes perfect sense. And for me, the reason for running the proxy obviously is to, is to try and help people to read Signal because it's a great platform. I really like it. But also the sort of uh, secondary reason for running the proxy is that it's a great opportunity to run something close to production range. Even though if it, if it goes down, nobody will call me and, and, and yell at me on the phone. They will be disappointed, yes. But if it's down for an hour, I, I think it's fine, because usually it's, it's not that critical. But for me, the secondary reason really is to learn how to secure and how to operate and monitor a service like this. Because it's lightweight, let's talk about that in a second, it's lightweight. So it allows me to tinker with the different capabilities I have in Azure and give me this sort of real life experience. Because normally when I work with customers, we are setting up things, we are advising, but we are not there for the day-to-day operations to see the possible issues and how do you resolve something like this. Mm -hmm. And with a service like this, I do get it. That's sort of where I'm coming from.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And I'm I'm coming from the other side, right? In in my previous role, I was part of a startup where we built globally distributed SaaS solutions that existed in multiple countries and in multiple regions across Azure. And there was a lot of things. It's you know mainly operations. So I I was part of building the architecture and the platform for that which is similar to when you go help your customers to like design the the architecture for whatever but then the main part was on me f- for doing operations. So I've done a lot of that. So I've seen a, a lot of numbers, uh, a lot of metrics, big numbers um, coming in and I don't particularly miss that right now. I'm it's quite the relief to uh, to get out of that in in one sense. But I I do get the thrill like when you see real data come in and you can you know, draw real conclusions based on real data and see trends. And how is it being used? And from where is it being used? And in in what what type of way is it being used? Uh, you can learn quite a lot. So I I definitely get the uh, get the allure of that.
1: Alrighty, so let's talk a bit about the technical bits. How does it work? And and then let's move on to the experience of running this on Azure. So what you need is you need to run a Docker. Container it's a couple of containers but they're bundled together and you use Docker Compose to to push them up and the container simply exposes the proxy and you need a public DNS uh, address of course for that and users then configure that proxy address to their Signal mobile application it doesn't work on a, on a desktop Signal only on the on the mobile side so iOS and and Android are obviously supported it's lightweight so. I have been running this for about six weeks now, and on average, the, I think it's three containers. The three containers consume about 50 to 60 megs of RAM. So that's that's nothing. I, I think that is less than what OneNote, the desktop client, is now consuming when I have <laughs> that open and I'm looking at my notes. So in that sense, I'm supporting about 20 people now using the proxy, and I don't really keep track, but about 20 people have reached out to me to get access to the proxy. And with 50 megs of RAM, it's... Do you you still remember the time when you would have a PC, and if you ran something that consumed 50 megs of RAM, it would be outrageous or or even impossible to support?
0: Yeah, Uh, I mean, given that the first experience I had with a a so-called real computer, was the 386 and then the 486 it didn't have that much right so i i do remember that but at the same time well like the way i see it is memory and cpu of computers it's like inflation in society right it just keeps going up and it will keep going up and and you know there are there's the different methods for calculating that so i think it's expected today 50 megs is nothing right but i do recall the time when we i had a desktop pc that was low in memory and some Company made an announcement. We now have a new memory stick with uh, more megahertz per second, or whatever the—I don't even recall the thing—like some kind of frequency of the memory stick. It's the same amount of gigabytes on the memory stick, but it was a new frequency, so 4200 instead of whatever it was. And you could upgrade it. Uh, so I—I I remember playing a, a lot with that. Like now, I need to upgrade my memory sticks, and you had to pull them out and plug the new ones in and do a lot of stuff like that. Uh, some some trivia from days of old. I'm super happy I don't have to do any of that. Just open the lid of my laptop and everything just works.
1: Well, well, some people you know are still doing that. Opening, uh, yeah, <laughs> opening I'm, I'm the looking at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun and a little bit frustrating at times. So Running the signal proxy on Azure, uh, since you do need to run uh, a couple of Docker containers, what you're going to need is, 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 a, is a way in Azure to run those. The options, top of my head, would be running that on a Linux virtual machine, running on Azure Kubernetes Service, running on container apps, the sort of managed Kubernetes, if you will, running as a container instance, and I think it would perhaps also work on a web app for containers, because you need to expose 443 TCP and 80 TCP. And both of those are supported for web app for containers. But am I missing out on anything? Because Toby, I recall you used to run stuff on container instances. Yeah. So which one would you sort of go for as as, as a default if you had this requirement?
0: That's uh that's a great question. Given the nature of this application, and because that's the like number number one question is always what is the purpose here? And we already know what the purpose is, and we do know the purpose because we don't control the application itself. Like this is a ready-built Docker image that says, this is how the signal works, these are the requirements. And in order for this to work, and and the purpose of this is to allow anyone to communicate 24/7, right, uh, freely over our proxy. So we have that constraint saying, this needs to be up at all times. So we need some type of high availability if we want to make this reliable. We need some kind of high availability so i would say um container apps might be an option for that aks is a perfect option if if you want to manage that and uh, they even kubernetes is managed you know by microsoft or by Azure in in a sense you still have to configure and manage and secure and, and take care of the entire cluster and ensure that it's uh, staying reliable and resilient and uh, performant same goes with any type of platform of course so i would I would always go back to the requirement and say, "What's the purpose here?" And given that this is about real-time communication, 24/7, it needs to be operational at all times. And container instances, you can spin them up and they're just going to work, right? Uh, but for longevity and for things running for a long time, I would say AKS is a good choice. Container apps might be a good choice. I don't have enough experience with web apps for containers to make a statement on running multiple containers and how they work together. But in AKS, you spin up a new cluster, you plug all the containers in, and that's it. Then you can manage the entire cluster, you can scale up and scale down as necessary. You have all the infrastructure and the boundaries and the management and the control planes around that. So If, if you're doing this not for fun, but if you're doing it because now you really need to offer this, and it's like life or death or high availability, mission-critical type of application, I would set up uh, multiple AKS clusters and ensure that I have failovers, saying that if for some reason one cluster entirely goes down in a region, you can just fail over to the other cluster in the in the new region and and just switch the DNS. Uh, but that's a different story. How to build like resilience and reliability into the thing, but that's always how I start. Think about the why. Uh, why are you doing this? And then think about what do we need to offer, and and at what level of SLA, if you will. So yeah, long answer to a short question, but but you get the point. It's it's always the consultant answer. It depends.
1: I, I, I get the point and I, I fully agree on that one. And AKS, probably if you're comfortable in, in operating that, that would be the sort of number one choice, definitely. And container apps, I feel, super interesting and perhaps a little bit more lightweight <clears throat> in terms of, of managing everything in there. What I ended up with, I started with an Ubuntu virtual machine. Just, I I wanted to see if this runs. And I think I'm now in the process of of graduating from the VM to AKS or container apps for this one. Perhaps one more option, if somebody's sort of considering uh, building something like this, would be to run a VM or a Kubernetes cluster locally in on-premises and managing those through Azure Arc and exposing those, perhaps to Azure AD application proxy, for example. Might be a bit too many moving parts, but it's fun learning about this stuff at the same time. So setting this up is, is easy because all you have to do is to clone the GitHub repo for the container and generate a certificate with let's encrypt. And there's a script for that as well, and that's it. The beauty of this is that if you need to destroy the container and rebuild this, there's nothing in the setup that that connects you with Signal yourself. So you do not need to sign in to Signal through the proxy to make it work. It just works as long as you have the DNS set up correctly and you have the uh, the SSL certificate in place. So perhaps moving from a VM to AKS, you could sort of do it side by side and then just point the DNS to the new endpoint if you will. Does this make any sense?
0: Yeah, sure. And the, I think, like coming back to the business requirements again, uh, I think there's an option here. Like um, Now we're talking about running specifically a proxy for signal, but if we're talking about the use case for people to be able to connect, uh, you know, outside the boundaries of whatever state controlled internet they might have, it might also work with just using a VPN, right? If you use a VPN and then you you signal over the vpn it might be the same thing that you you're now allowed to work and connect outside of the realm of uh, of that vpn but a lot of these places governments and like control and block vpn services popular vpn services as well so that coming back to the use case uh, if this is the use case that you need and that makes perfect sense and it's I like the simplicity of that. Someone stands up a signal proxy and then in your mobile app, you just say, all right, point it to this. and uh, This is the host name of that um, signal proxy. Let's go. And that's the only thing you need to do.
1: Exactly. And I think it also has to do with trust. If you trust Signal's capability of doing end-to-end encryption, that's great. But if you have to resort to using a VPN first, then you would also have to implicitly trust the VPN as well. And you can never sort of be sure on who's providing the VPN and are they capturing any logs and whatnot. Then again, all the signal traffic is encrypted anyways. But there's this sort of added calculated risk in there. So to access the proxy, you can use um, a URL of signal.tube slash hashtag your DNS hostname. Or you just give the DNS hostname to somebody already using Signal. They click on that. The Signal application will pick it up and configure the application to use the proxy. You can see a small green shield in the application if you're routing traffic through the proxy or not. Alrighty. So, so we've sort of talked about the why and the, and the business reason uh, on why you would need this or why you would offer this. Uh, a bit of experience on running this. So as I said, I run this on an Ubuntu VM. Uh, so, so Toby, I know you don't frequently need to run anything on a virtual machine, but if you had to do something like this today, what would be the VM sort of size or capabilities that 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 you would go for? You know,
0: that's a, that's a good question. And, and looking at the requirements, if it's about 50, uh 50 megabytes of ram for the docker images and the consumption doesn't really spike um you know there's the A level VMs there's the Dsv2 level VMs uh, like there's there are some VMs that are fairly cheap and uh, that you can run and and if you run them uh using linux then you, you can get a pre- pretty good price and of course if you to take that discussion again with business requirements if this is something that's going to run for a long time and you know that well i'm going to run this at least a year or at least three years you can also start looking at reserved instances and say i'm going to save 50 percent of the price if i commit to three years of a given tier or of a given given size there's also something in in Azure that we talked about in one of our update episodes called savings plans which is now a way to also subscribe if you will to uh, a given amount of credit or a given amount of consumption and then you can spread that over different types of of vms or compute services so with that in consideration i would try to kind of balance you know the use case again will it run for more than a year if so uh, if there's something that you want to offer permanently then look at the savings plans and the reserved instances and then make a decision based on that with a VM tier that is adequate for the anticipated uh, traffic that you're going to get.
1: Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. For me, when I set up a VM, I usually go for the B4 MS, so that's 16 gigs of RAM, four CPU cores, and that typically is enough for any sort of tests. And I actually got started with that one first, but then I realized, well, the containers need 50 megs of RAM. I have about 14 gigs of RAM unused, so why am I paying whatever the cost for the B4 MS is on a monthly basis? So what I did, I downgraded to um, to the smaller one, the B2S. It's only two virtual uh, CPU cores and four gigs of RAM. It, it feels like, well, this is nowhere near enough, but keeping in mind it's Linux, and running a simple container, nothing else. There's no other services really running. And what I have now after about six weeks of running that, 2.8 gigs of RAM are still available, meaning free, perhaps cached, but still free. So the container is taking about 50 to 100 megs, that's it. It's solid, it's it's, it's rock stable. I run frequent updates on, on a weekly basis, but that's about it. You don't really need to do anything with this. Yeah. Uh, on on securing the, the VM, I'm using all sorts of, of, of ways, perhaps let's not go into too many details on that one, but through Defender for Cloud, the Defender for Servers is is great because you enable that, you set up the alerts, and you're good to go on that. Other thoughts on that one, the amount of traffic is probably the thing that end up costing you actual money uh, when you operate something like this and over the last 30 days uh, about 10 gigs of pass-through traffic through the proxy of about maybe 15 20 users that includes me testing out the proxy but then I realized I don't really need to use it myself and I can see from the alerts if it's not running so I don't need to be constantly connected to that so about two gigs of that is probably me testing the service but whatever those service service whatever those users, push through signal will pass through the proxy. So it's about eight gigs for me, which I don't think it's too bad, really. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, makes sense. So how do you, like my question that comes up now is, we talked about you might need, may or may not need a signal proxy. Let's assume that you have a a justification for setting this up. You figure it out how to set it up. You put it on a VM, you put it on AKS, you put it on whatever. All right, you have it running, but you have no users. running through it so how do you like how do people now find your proxy how do you do you go out with a flag saying hey hey i've got a proxy here go come find it or does it have something like a discoverability built in uh, like you do with the honeypot kind of scenario where attackers try to attack you and you put up a honeypot and they go to that one instead or how do you get people to actually use the signal proxy now that we have everything in place we have the operational procedures lined up we have our Uh, technology stack secured and we're ready for operations. All righty, but we have zero users. How do we get them?
1: That's the interesting question because you cannot just go on social media like Twitter and announce here is my signal proxy, please click here. Because before you know it, another government will then block access to the proxy because they will learn about the DNS address. So people need to find you and ask you privately. Could I have access to your proxy and then you provide them with the DNS address? Uh, there's a hashtag that Signal is promoting and it's hashtag I ran Signal proxy. I think it's a small wordplay on I'm running one, but also Iran, the country, is, is in place. And I, I think I read on the Signal announcement that this is sort of the first solution that they are offering and perhaps something else is, is being cooked on because it's a bit cumbersome for having people to reach out to you privately, meaning you have to keep your Twitter direct messages open for anybody. They will reach out to you and you sort of have to evaluate during those few sentences if this person needing the proxy is really a real person or perhaps it's somebody else trying to fish out the DNS address from you, but there's a little bit of trickery in there. So what I did try, I tried changing the DNS address, let's say every two weeks, but the problem is that then you have to regenerate the Let's Encrypt certificate, then you have to reconfigure your DNS and you sort of could automate bits of those, but it becomes not a nice side hobby anymore. It becomes almost like a side project you have to work on on a weekly basis. So I'm yeah. I'm 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 stuck with the same DNS ad, DNS address for now.
0: I, I think that's a a great point that you bring up that you don't go and announce. It makes perfect sense when you say that now, because uh, I was thinking, hey, just go on Twitter and say, hey, here's my here's my new DNS for a signal proxies. You can avoid being blocked by your government, and then your government reads that address, and they're like, all right, <laughs> let's block it. And <laughs> uh, so that makes perfect sense that there there is a way for people to. Uh, kind of reach out to you. You make yourself available and say, hey, I've got a proxy and people can reach out. Then, of course, you will never know if that individual reaching out is actually part of someone who wants to block access. Anyone can reach out and just say, hey, I need a proxy and you'll give it to them and then they might add it to a list. But I think the the fact that this is an option and that people can use it is is uh, awesome. And so it's like the, a crowdsourcing of free speech, if you will. Uh, so people can help out in in doing that. Obviously, that's one of the main business cases or justifications we're talking about now. It's not really a business case because there's no profit in this. This is about helping people uh, in the justification we're talking about. Then there might be business cases for for doing this for for someone else. I don't know, but I think the the angle we're talking about is like promoting free speech and and, and like crowdsourcing uh, the opportunity to deliver free speech in in a sense. So I I really love that and and I love seeing how we can work, cross boundaries to help one another out. Uh, You know, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter that we don't know one another. We just know that it's imperative that we all uh, can deliver our insights and our information and report what's happening where we are uh, in the most authentic way possible. So it's not filtered by, you know, a middleman going through everything and say, well, let's not publish that because we don't agree with
1: that specific opinion. So I think that's... uh, that's pretty cool and very powerful. And and this sort of introduces the the one final thought I I, I got on this. What if one day I I realize well I don't want to end up paying whatever it's costing me to run the VM and a little bit of my time. I don't want to run this any longer, so I can just shut down the VM and reconfigure the firewall and whatnot. But then, I will probably have people not being able to access Signal. And they might not have a way to reach back to me because they might have communicated with me over Signal or some someplace else. And and when the signal when, when the proxy stops working, they have no direct connection back to me to connect me because the proxy itself is not advertising anything about me. So it's an it's an interesting challenge and, and for now in the foreseeable future, I'm planning on running it. Perhaps one day I'll just figure, well, I cannot commit to this anymore. But when that day comes, then I'll know probably what to do. All righty. So this was the experience and some thoughts on, on running the Signal Proxy on Azure. Uh, we'll put in the show notes the instructions from Signal on how to build this. And I think I've wrote a blog article on this one as well with some, some details on setting it up. So we'll put all of those links in the show notes. The last bit is the unexpected question. And Toby, this week, it's going to be my turn to ask you. All right. All righty. So this is is a complex question. (laughs) So in Seinfeld, the sitcom series that ran for nine seasons in the 90s, the apartment of Jerry Seinfeld was, was often used for some of the scenes. Why do you think they designed the apartment so that it's physically impossible to exist in real life because the hallway corridor is cutting through the kitchen for example
0: (laughs) all right Uh, good question i have never reflected on that and i i uh, i don't know i cannot answer that probably if you shoot it with the tv cameras and they, they make it look like it's a lot bigger they make it look like it's an actual apartment building like with all the shows all the sitcoms they usually have a single room that they record everything from a, an apartment, you know, regardless of the size of that apartment. So maybe that's probably why, because it's like Hollywood type of scene, right? You have a, a fake apartment that you sit in, and depending on which camera is shooting, it's going to look you know authentic from that angle. So probably that's why. If you exit the door, you're supposed to have a hallway behind it, because you always shoot it from a specific angle. But if you actually take a look, there's no hallway, right? It's only whatever's just outside the door. So that might be the reason that it exists, you know on set because you don't need to have everything outside of the apartment in place. So if the hallway interior would cross over the kitchen area because the hallway is is a straight line, you don't see that in the in the show. Well, now you might see it because if we talk about it and you go back to an episode and start thinking, huh, Maybe there's a point to that, then you might reflect on it. But honestly, I watched Seinfeld maybe 10 times in my life. Uh, it wasn't a big thing for me. Uh, it was always on, I think, at the same time as MacGyver, and then you know the winner. MacGyver, who can create and build a helicopter with a Swiss army knife and some tinfoil alone, always win. So uh, that's, that's how I grew up. I spent my time uh, zapping through the TV. Uh, I would see Seinfeld. And if there's nothing else on, I might stay there because I had nothing else to do after school. Most of the time, MacGyver was on. Or what was it? Knight Rider was the other one. Oh, yeah. Where he had Hasselhoff being David Knight or Daniel Knight or whatever the name was. And he had his AI car, which at the time in the 90s, that was like, whoa, a talking car. And now it's like, so what? A talking car? (laughs) Everyone has a talking car by now. so. That might be a question for the for another episode. Uh, spoiler alert: Why if you could integrate the chat PGT like the chat AI bot into your car and ask it for directions because it's AI based, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. Uh, I want I wonder what the experience would be, but that's for a discussion for another time. A uh, long answer to a short question or a fairly complex question in a sense that you asked, and uh, but I don't have a good answer to to why this is just some reflections
1: on sitcoms from my side thanks i i do like the reflection for sure all righty thank you for tuning in we'll have a fresh episode for you again next week on wednesday bye-bye see you then